A note about today's episode. This interview was recorded in April 2023. So if you've been following the show for a while and you wonder why the timeline is slightly off, that's why. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed this conversation. I'm Simone Paget, and welcome to We're Never Doing This Again, a podcast about sex, dating, and all of those weird and wonderful messy experiences that we have no desire to repeat. I'm so excited for today's guest. I have Rita Chand. She is a certified life coach, a holistic wellness counselor, and currently completing her training to become a registered counselor. Welcome to the show, Rita. I'm so glad you could come on. Thank you so much. I, I It's such a privilege to be here. I've been really inspired by your journey that you've been sharing on Instagram, just getting these various certifications and like pursuing counseling as a career. I think, I just think it's so cool and so perfect for you. How's it been so far? You know, it's been, it was quite a transition at the beginning because of course I changed my entire, I turned my life on its head by leaving my job of 26 years. And, um, you know, when you just, you have that feeling that you're in the right place. I, I, over the past year, uh, just over a year, have really become very clear that this is what I was put on this earth to do. And every day, I feel like every day, the universe shows me that I'm right. I love that. And so you can't argue with that. I feel the same way about some of the stuff I'm working on now too. Yeah. And you do such great, there's so much great stuff that you do and that you share and you put out there. And and I love, I love that I'm on that list of people that gets to see what you're doing because it's inspiring for me as well. Th- there have been a lot of times in my life where I thought I was going to do a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. Same. <laughs> and, and I still may. I mean, yeah. And, you know, and this is the funny thing is um, I grew up in a era of you get a job and you keep it and you stay. The security, the safety, the pension, the vacation, the regular salary, you know, paying your mortgage. Like, how are you going to do that? And I, it never occurred to me to leave my job. It had never occurred to me. But then I took six months stress leave and was so burnt out and physically and mentally, emotionally wrecked. And while I was on during that time, it started to become clear. It took a while, probably eight months before I was like, what, what would I do if I left my job? What would it be like if I left? And people think that at this stage in life, you know, once you turn 50, you should just stay where you are because you're going to retire, which is what I always thought. And then I did something completely different. Never saw myself doing that. And I'm so happy. I've never been more fulfilled in my life. And I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage all the time. And I don't know how my bills are. And somehow they get paid. And it's not like you're going, like you're going into a field where you'll have a skill that can really help people. When people ask me about how I ended up being a freelance writer, like I always say, do not quit your day job because it's not going to pay you very well for the first, you know, 
X amount of years. But yeah, I'm confident that you'll be able to get those bills paid and help people. Yeah. And what all I ever wanted to do was to make a difference for people, to be able to support people in something. And now I get to do that in this work. And there is nothing like it. And, you know, I, I love reading your writing, just so you know. I, I, oh, thank I you. The, yeah. And I, um, I, I have stopped writing for a while. I had stopped writing for a number of years because of what I was going through with my job. And I felt I had nothing to share when really in hindsight, I wish I had been sharing what I was going through because I think it would have made a difference for me. But, it, you know, I didn't share for whatever reason. And um, I used to work in radio and people used to say to me all the time, you don't go into radio to get rich. You, yeah, because you, you're never going to, you know, but you just keep going. It's like you persevere and you do the, and, you, and something happens and all of a sudden you're making money and you're doing the things and you're getting asked to work with organizations or, or whatever, whatever it is that happens, but it's the keeping going. It's the keeping on moving forward. That is the biggest piece. I um, was in Germany for work this summer, hosted by a sex toy company who'd flown out journalists from all over the world. Of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally normal things. And it was really cool because like, I never expected to be at their world headquarters, you know, 10 years ago when I started doing this. I always hoped I would get to do cool stuff. And the man I was talking to, he said, he asked me like, what's next? And I said, well, I've st I'm starting a podcast. And he was like, oh, well, isn't the industry like super saturated already? And I said, yes, like it is a really like full industry, but I'm confident that like if I keep pursuing it, like unexpected things are going to happen because that's sort of how things went with writing. Like it, the end point isn't necessarily like the best point. It's sort of the, the process and like the, the surprises and things that happen along the way. I think sometimes we get so stuck on to be cliche, like the destination as opposed to the journey. Well, you know, and I have such appreciation for what you just said. And I think, and actually, this is so funny. This is the third conversation I'm having this afternoon about this book. I just finished The Untethered Soul. Uh, well, I finished it two weeks ago. Have you ever read it? No, but it sounds super okay. familiar. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. It's been around for years. I, I don't know how I, it escaped me reading it. Um, but I didn't. And so in my spiritual wellness program, that was our textbook. And so two weeks ago, I finished reading it. And there's one chapter near the end called Contemplating Death that I've been referencing with everyone I've been talking to lately, because I can't stop thinking about it. And I can't, it impacted me so greatly. And it, it, I feel like it kind of changed how I view life. And what you just said is very similar to that. It's, um, he talks about Michael Singer as the author, and he talks about how life is actually our career and the experiences that we have while we're living are what provide us with our growth opportunities. And if we actually live as though we're dying, cause we are, we actually, we're just, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to have those conversations, but if we actually live like this is the only life we're going to get, it's more about staying present and it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just how much of you is doing it. He says, which I love, but then also, so what if the market is saturated with podcasts or 
you know, the same dating websites or whatever, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's the fact that you're willing to be bold and take the risk that is going to give you your life experience, whether it turns out or not. I mean, I'm having fun. So if I'm having fun and I'm learning something new, then I'm good. If I'm not having fun, then that's when I stop doing the thing. Yeah. And, and we are, our one purpose in life is to experience joy. Yeah. Literally it says in a book that's sitting right there on my dining room. It says, <laughs> our one purpose in life is to experience joy. I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, she's like a wellness self-care guru, Gala Darling. She has this saying that feeling good is my job and getting up every day and doing the things to put you in a space where you feel good. I mean, sometimes for me, like that seems like an overwhelming task when there's so many other competing priorities, but it is like a really good guiding principle, even if you don't accomplish those things every day. Yeah. I went for a massage first thing this morning. And how good do you think I felt that that's how I started my day? And there is something to this life that if I'm not enjoying it, what am I doing? I feel like I'm taking space for, away from someone else if I'm not enjoying the life that I was given. I've never actually said that out loud before. I think I surprised myself saying that. I like it, though. People who know me in real life, like outside of the podcast or my writing, know that like my dad is very ill right now. Um, he has like late stage dementia and it's been really hard. But at the same time, it's kind of forced me like whenever I catch myself like feeling blah or like, oh, God, I have to like do this thing again. I try and think of like people who can't do the things and I'm like, oh, I'm actually really grateful to be here and be like walking along Fort Street, <laughs> like in the sunshine. It's great. So, yeah, it's interesting how those experiences can kind of shift your perspective. But like, I also relate to like what you were saying, like speaking of my dad, about the idea of like staying in a job for a really long time and then retiring, because that was very much his generation and his experience where he worked for the government for like 40 years and then retired and then got sick. It's kind of always been because I'm like a Gen X, like millennial, there's always been this sort of tension between like, should I do like what my parents generation did or should I do something completely unpredictable and my own path and I've chosen like to do the unpredictable thing but I always there's always that tension there where every few weeks I'm like should I just get like a day job and stop all of this yep. <laughs> and you know it's funny someone I I too worked for the government for 26 years and it was like the greatest dream of my parents for me to get a job that allowed for that safety and security and and gave me my home and, you know, all these great things and going on vacations and stuff like that. And, but it was actually my mom who is of that boomer generation, who believes that once you find your job, you stay and you suck it up and you deal with whatever's going on. But it was my mom who said, why don't you just quit? If you're so unhappy and it's such a terrible environment, why don't you just quit? And then she was the one who told me, 
why don't you become a counselor? And I was like, that's dumb. I'm not doing that, mom. I don't want to do that. And it's like she had some kind of premonition. And then when I actually did, just before I decided to go back to school, which was just January of last year, January 4th, I'll never forget. I woke up in the morning and I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And um, I didn't know how I was going to get the money for tuition, nothing, but I knew I had to do it. And so I was on the phone with my mom telling her, mom, I got, I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And she said, I'll pay your tuition for the first oh, wow. two semesters. Um, I, she said, I remember going back to school when I was 40 something and I loved it. And yeah, this is something that you should do. And so she paid tuition for the first two semesters, which is all I had planned to do. And then I fell in love with counseling and then I had to continue on. And so I found a way to pay for the second two semesters. And then I'm super grateful. I got a scholarship for this last two semesters for a partial scholarship and uh, I'll find the money. I've been finding the money all the way through. And so, and I, I never would have, if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said that I, I'm just waiting to retire from my government job. Like we talk a lot about like dating and relationships on this podcast. And like, I feel sometimes like work is like another relationship and you can be in the wrong situation because like, I still have trauma from like my desk jobs from like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know you currently facilitate workshops to raise awareness about like anti-bullying in the workplace and like developing a healthier workplace. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about what inspired that and what you guys do. Yeah. So I lead a uh, specifically right now a, a workshop called How to Recognize When You're Being Bullied in the Workplace, because oftentimes, especially those from our generation, um, and the generation before, you don't know, you don't recognize it, you don't see it for what it is. You, I know for me, I was bullied for three and a half years in my workplace. The last three and a half years were the worst three and a half, three and a half years I've ever spent anywhere in any work environment. And I had been bullied before in the past um, in different jobs, but in in like minor ways, like things that you kind of were like. What just happened? And then you just move on. You know, you just kind of forget about it and you move on. This was daily. This was sucking the life out of me. Like to the point where I would come home, crawl into bed and cry before I would get up and make dinner, have a shower, do it all over again the next day. And every day I would go to work, it chipped away at me, it chipped away at who I was. It chipped away at my confidence and my self-esteem and my spirit, my light burnt out um, up for a really long time. And I didn't see it happening. I didn't know that that's, I just kept looking at it from like, I, I can fix this. I can make this better. I'll take this course and I'll do this and I'll have this conversation. But thinking I was the problem, but I was never the problem. And um, so um, I, I have come to realize that uh, I want to be that person for people that I didn't have that I could turn to. And so, um, so the workshops were born just out of me dealing with my trauma around what happened and, and doing my own work around it. And, um, and then all of a sudden this, this, someone said to me, you should lead a workshop on that. And then it, 
just clicked. So I, I talk specifically um, about bullying in all aspects, but specifically I focus on covert bullying, which is we're all familiar with uh, overt bullying, which is the obvious stuff, but the covert bullying, the stuff that makes us feel like shit when we leave the stuff that are leave the office, the stuff that you're still traumatized by 15 years later, the stuff that we kind of brush off, like it's not a big deal, but it stays with us. It impacts us. And it's been amazing. I've been given some really amazing opportunities to lead to some really great people. It's virtual and in person, I, either way, whatever is required. For me, it's about normalizing the conversation around bullying. Well, it, it, the word bullying is, oh, you don't want to use that word. You don't want to say that. Be careful. That's a big word. But really, it happens to everyone. It happens in school. It happens at home. It happens at work. It happens to everyone. And we need to be able to talk about it because the more we can talk about it, the more likely someone is to report it. My Myself, my coworkers did report it, but nothing was done. Yeah. And that's that's usually the case. Yeah. And so then it's like you lose faith in everything. Yeah. You lose faith in every single thing that you thought was going to help you and nothing does. I was just wondering what would be an example of covert bullying? Like what are signs that someone may be experiencing that? Well, the first one that comes to mind is micromanagement. So I had a micromanaging boss once. Uh, this wasn't the last few years, but um, and it, I, the amount of anxiety that I experienced because of the micromanagement every day. And I never knew what it was. I never knew why I was experiencing anxiety. I just knew that I was. Um, and it was something that he was aware of. It was something that had been talked about, but he never, it just wasn't something that he could stop doing. So that's one example. Another example is, well, gossip is, is covert bullying. Yeah. Also what creates a hostile work environment, as we know. Um, yeah. And getting left out of meetings um, when you're, you, you're, for, in my case, we sat in a pod and so everyone would be in behind closed doors and I wouldn't be invited into, even though I was, should have been part of the conversation and things like of that nature. The one thing that, um, <laughs> that I actually learned, I had a, I met with the CEO and the founder of an organization out of the UK, a nonprofit called the Speak Out Revolution. And okay. they're, they're out to end the silence around bullying and harassment in the workplace to have people because retaliation is a big thing that happens in the UK around this. And, and it's less so here, but it definitely happens there. And so it's incredible. I, I, I was so excited to meet with her and to be able to have this conversation with her and 75% of covert bullying or bullying is um, gaslighting. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So you know, and those of us who've been on dating apps or in the dating world in the last 10 years or so, gaslighting is, it's a terrible blow to your mental health. Yeah. It, it wasn't until that word started to become part of the popular lexicon that I had a word to describe what it experienced. Like when, yes. particularly like there's this one relationship from when I was 19, 20, 21, and I've said before, I could do a whole season just on <laughs> that relationship. But the idea that like what you know inherently to be true and happening to have someone else like invalidate that and say, no, that's not happening 
it's such like a head fuck. Then it starts to eat away at your confidence because you stop trusting your own perceptions. So I think that like definitely impacted me as like a young person and spilled into like work re- work relationships and other re- like romantic relationships because I didn't trust myself. Yeah. And that and so imagine that and how impactful that was, it's especially when you're at that uh, in age where you can still be influenced by yeah. people and what they think. And, and um, not that you can't be as you get older, but especially then. And then when you're dealing with it daily, at no- you know, that one place that we can feel confident is in our workplace because we're hired for a job that we know how to do and we get better as we learn it. And, and then you've got someone telling you, you suck at your job. And how did you even get your job? And, you don't deserve this job and no one else will ever hire you. Where are you going to go? These are some of the things that I heard. First of all, that's really messed up. And I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, thank you. And it is really shitty that it's something that I had to go through. And Mm -hmm. it is really shitty that that was the thing that led me to leave uh, a job that I thought I would do for the rest of, you know, until I retired but at the same time, and not everyone has this experience. And I'm so grateful that I had access to great counselors that I could work with. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I have never been more grateful for an experience that a terrible experience in my life than I am for this one that I had, because it led me here. I always tell people if I hadn't had like sequential bad work experiences, <laughs> that I might not be doing what I actually want to be doing because it kind of pushed me to, it was so uncomfortable. I'm like, well, it can't be worse working for myself. Right. Exactly. At least you're not going to, well, you probably will because we do bully ourselves. Recently, well, a few months ago, I woke up one morning and I thought, you know what? I need to acknowledge one of the bullies for a conversation that we had. And so I sent a thank you card to this person in my workplace, my old workplace, simply to say thank you for that day when you suggested that I go see a counselor due to a reaction I had with something that you said. And if you hadn't suggested that, I never would have gone to counseling because it hadn't occurred to me. And I had no idea what a huge impact counseling would have on me. Um, I didn't say thank you for anything other than this is a conversation that deserves to be acknowledged. And so this is me acknowledging it. And I remember telling a friend that I was sending this card and she gasped out loud and was like, are you sure? And I had never been more sure of anything in my life that that was something that deserved to be acknowledged because now I get to be the counselor that I needed when I was going through it. I think that's actually really beautiful. (laughs) I'm just grateful that I came through the other side. I know that not everyone yeah. does. I know that it's not, I'm, I'm like a, my friend, I have a friend that calls me a success story, bullying her uh, success story. Um, I think there's probably lots of people that have been through it that didn't even know that they were going through it. Didn't even know what it was. They just were feeling something. And um, so for me, it's about normalizing the conversation. It's about taking it into every organization. Personally, 
I think every organization needs to have a counselor on site that someone can go to, uh, that staff can go to, that it doesn't have to answer, the counselor doesn't have to answer to the executive. They they are there for the employee because every workplace needs someone there for the employee. Yeah, because in my experience, like when I worked in like a corporate environment, the HR department was not there for the employee. They were there to support upper management and defend upper management's poor treatment of employees. So the times when I, my old workplace was like, if a frat house was an office. So when I watched like the the show, The Office, and I watched Mad Men, which came out around the same time that I was actually working in this place, I watched, I was like, yeah, this seems pretty normal. <laughs> like this seems, this seems fine. <laughs> yeah. But then when I reported what was happening and what I was experiencing, which was like a lot of like sexual harassment and like sexual inappropriateness, because the whole motto of the workplace was they would talk about it. The corporate culture was work hard, play hard. So we had like a lot of open bar events and there was just booze all the time. And a lot of like, young people working in and not so young people in this like company that really like there was just a lot of socializing outside of the job and yeah I reported some pretty wild incidents during a review about one of my managers I'm like some of the stuff he does makes me feel super uncomfortable and the HR rep who was his best friend was like you have to be kind to Keith he doesn't get out much and I'm like, <laughs> that's not my problem. Like Keith's social life is not my problem. So yeah. And after that, it's like, it feels so demoralizing to not have someone support you. Yes, it does. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate in that that is HR's role is they're there to support the organization, not the employee. And so um, it's, it's, their hands are tied. It's not, it's not even their fault. It's their mandate. It's what they're meant to do, what they're supposed to do. That's part of the problem is it gets harder and harder to um, report stuff because, you know, it's not going to, nothing's going to happen. They're going to side with the manager because yeah. they're supposed to. And the last three years, has there's been so many bad things, but so many blessings that have come out of it. Because like, let's be real. We, we weren't okay before. No. And then we really weren't okay after our mental health really, we started to focus on the things that we didn't have time to focus on before because we had to, we, where were we mm-hmm. going to go? We couldn't get away from ourselves. And so um, there's not enough counselors in the world right now to deal with wait lists and the amount of people who are seeking counseling. I don't know what to do about that. I know, but I'm doing what I can, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part, but we can't just talk about mental health anymore. It is something we need to do something about. We need to be actively doing something about it. And part of that is organizations need to realize they're part of the problem. Like they're, they're they just, and I don't mean that like, cause I realize that organizations, there's only so much money and they have priorities that are not necessarily focused on the things we as employees want them to be focused on. And I get that. Um, But there needs to be some attention. Yeah. I love the idea of an in-house counselor, like someone who is by 
job description neutral. Yeah. Whether it's they're on call, whether they're virtual, whether they're in the office, it doesn't matter. As long as an employee knows they have access and that no one else is going to know, they just get to go talk to someone. I was also worked in an office where the boss would then gossip. She would talk to people in confidence and then take that information and then gossip back to other people. So, and it was an all pretty much all female workplace. And it just became like when I hear the word toxic workplace, like that's what pops into my mind because it was like this really bad like gossip loop where people thought things were private, but then like another person finds out and then like people were starting to form alliances against other people. It was just like Lord of the Flies, the corporate yeah. <laughs> corporate office version. It's unfortunate because it is, it's rampant. It's bullying is not just something I experienced in my workplace. It's everywhere. It's in every workplace. It's in, unless there's an intentional value or mission or something that says, no, we're not, or we're not having it. It's how are they not, how is it not going to happen? If organizations are clawing to, to make their way through the world right now, everyone's dealing with the economic difficulties and everyone's there. And it's, and more and more pressure is, is, is on the employee to do the job. And we're not physically and mentally and emotionally at our best. And so how, how are we supposed to do our jobs if we're not being taken care of in the place that we spend the most time. Yeah. It's one thing to throw around the words, hey, your mental health is important to us. But it's a whole other thing to actually show me that my mental health is important. Do you have like tactics or like strategies that you suggest to prevent bullying from happening? Well, I think so. I think the fact that leaders are getting hired into positions that they have no business being hired into because they don't have the experience of supervising people um, is one way. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I don't have a lot of control over that, but I think um, when you see it happening is calling it out, calling it like, I know how scary it is. I was afraid for my job every day, which is why I didn't say anything. I didn't tell people because I was embarrassed and I was ashamed of what was going on because when I did tell people, they were like, oh, my God, you do not seem like the type of person that that would be happening to. You must be imagining it. These are friends because they just couldn't understand how someone like me was being bullied. And I get it. But so then I just stopped talking about it altogether. So I think that talking about it, speaking it out, telling someone that it's happening and then taking the action, whether it's and I, I want to say I took all of these actions and it led to nothing. But that's not to say that it has to be that way. Um, I went to like the labor relations. I went to work BC or um, work, uh, work safe BC. I went to all the right places and I was told, do you have proof? Do you have everything in writing? Can you spend the time putting it in writing? Can you do this work? And I just didn't have the capacity for it because I was dealing with being burnt out and dealing with all the trauma from it. So, but I think if we can start talking about it and calling it out when it happens and making sure that it's, it's not happening in private, like if you get called into an office, I would like to have someone with me. There's a lot of, and, and I know it's scary. It's scary to stand up for yourself that way. I know it is. So it's easy for me to say now because that's never happening to me again, but someone who's going through it right now, I, I mean, 
I just get how scary it is. And, and like, I almost want to say if someone needs help and they just want someone to talk it up, call me. Like I want yeah. to <laughs> kind of like, you know, lift you up and psych you up to have that conversation, but just don't, if you, if you leave work feeling anxious or like shit about yourself, that's not, that's something that you want to call out right away. Cause otherwise that just builds. I almost feel like you could be someone's anti-bullying fairy godmother. Like that, that is, that is a business in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I, I steer clear of the word anti anything because I feel like it's kind of like, it's like you're fighting against something. I, what I'm doing is standing for safe workplaces, standing for respectful workplaces and standing for celebrating the greatness in people and not letting people squash their employees just because they need to feel powerful or they need someone to be afraid of them or they need to, you know, make their quota. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. I I, I would be anyone's fairy godmother. I think, that's, <laughs> I think you just gave me a new job title. It's so interesting because like everything you're saying, I also see a parallel with um, unhealthy relationships, interpersonal, like either romantic or friendships. Because I have, um, there's a couple of people in my life who have, you know, told me things about their relationships where either their partner says, well, like, I'm the best you can do, or this is just who I am, deal with it, which is like, just a really problematic thing to say. And I've heard those words said to me as well. And, or just denying that it's happening. And and the reality is, People, there are people walking around in this world that do not want to be responsible for who they are and how they show up in the world. Yeah. And I am a big fan of, as much as I hate it, I can be an asshole sometimes and because I'm human and we all are, but it's not who I am. It's just something that I, it's, it's a part of who I am. But as long as I can apologize for it and be responsible for it, like, hey, I'm really sorry. Sometimes I can be an asshole. That was me being an asshole. I'm really sorry. Uh, if there's anything you need to say about that, please let me know. I've had numerous conversations like that with people about that. But for someone to say it's your problem, like uh, it's just who I am. So now you have to deal with it. No, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, one of the things that I have learned this last year or so is we as grownups, every single one of us that is a grown ass person is responsible for our own healing. We are responsible for, do not put it on me that you want me to do something to help you heal. So that is not my job. If you don't come to me healed, if I'm speaking dating, speaking yeah. of, of dating, if you're not coming to me already being responsible for your own healing, we're probably not going to be a good. I know some people who are healing themselves and are doing all this work and their partner isn't and they're trying to it's like they're trying to heal as w themselves plus their partner Noah says too in my own relationships you can only get better to a point if the other person isn't willing to to do the work to meet you there then it's not going to progress and yeah I just wish more people understood that you can't heal yourself into your partner being a better partner 
Yes, it's true. <laughs> and honestly, I almost hesitate saying this out loud, but I feel like I would like to be a relationship fairy godmother as well. Yes. For people who are on the apps and the way that they communicate. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I feel like it's something that I could do really, really well. You have like a great sort of gentle but firm approach, which is what you need from a counselor. Yeah, thank you. Do you see any parallels between like behaviors on the apps and bullying behaviors? Yes. Yes. The gaslighting is huge. The, the, um, I mean, ghosting is a form of bullying. Oh, okay. Because the person who gets ghosted ends up feeling like shit. Yeah. And, and blames themselves oftentimes. Less so as we get older, I think we realize it doesn't have anything to do with us, so we don't worry about it. But it still happens. And I see it because I attend the University of TikTok, so I watch it all the time. <laughs> all these people who are, oh, I got ghosted and they're crying because they're, you know, someone that they didn't actually even care about <laughs> ghosted them. I was ghosted after almost a year in a relationship with someone. Oh, my God. And he met my family and everything. And then I never heard from him again. Well, we like shortly thereafter. And wow, it, uh, it took me three years to recover because I felt so stupid. And so, yeah. So yes, the apps I'm not, so I have not been on the apps for quite some time. Um, I've recently downloaded Bumble and hated myself for doing it in the moment, but it was, it actually was one of those moments where I thought, you know what, I'm ready for my Hallmark moment. I'm ready. So, and it hasn't happened yet and that's okay. I don't spend a lot of time on it, but I find that um, the, the level of commitment that it takes to be on one of the apps, to actually connect with someone, to really connect with someone, not just because of what they look like um, is it's, it's not there. It's, I'm not putting out that much effort. If you're not putting out that much, effort. I'm just not doing that. So there's definitely a lot that happens on those apps that people like people just get fed up and they leave. But imagine calling it out. Imagine actually saying, hey, why are you acting that way? Why are you behaving this way? You're a grown up. And see what kind of response you get. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a power move. <laughs> Isn't it? But this is a problem. We're not making the power moves. We should be making those power moves. I agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like that's a whole other episode. Yeah. No, totally. I feel like you've also, now you have like a second title, which is dating fairy godmother yeah well yeah and like teach i want to be someone cyrano i want to tell people here's what you say here's how you respond to that communication is my number one value i am a word artist and i i would love to put that to good use and i can see the world of dating needs that someone i just spoke to for a previous episode they were saying that they actually interviewed for a job where that was the actual job it was like a online dating like concierge service where you actually answered all of the guys messages it was for men of course because women seem to not have the problems communicating although i've met uh, one of my good friends he actually says the opposite he's been ghosted a bunch by women but this was specifically for men and like your job was to reply to their messages in like a nice manner. And God, it's so <laughs> you'd probably be perfect for it. Yeah, I would love that job.
Oh, it's kind of unsettling that there's that many men who need the service and also that you could be talking to someone who isn't even that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Which could potentially be damaging. Yeah. 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 Um, I used to write a dating, a weekly dating column for uh, a dating website out of the UK. And I, I, that was feedback that I used to get from men is you like, you need to stop talking as much as you are like in the sense of why are you communicating so much? Like, why can't you just, this was before, Oh, maybe the apps had just come out. Why can't you just swipe right and see what happens? But I'm like, I want to get to know someone first. I want to know, are you even worth getting together? Like, is it even worth it for, are we going to have anything in common? Like there's these things that women do. And I think some men do as well. It's just so far, I've only encountered a few of them on the dating apps. And, you know, I, I really just want, I want, I want it to be easy. I want someone to just show up at my door and be like, okay, here I am. Here's your <laughs> you know, I don't have to go through the apps to do it, but that's what there is right now. Yeah, I feel like though you are putting out so much like good energy that someone's going to be drawn to that. From your mouth to God's ears, Simone. I'm saying I'm saying it, so it's going to happen. Okay, awesome. Yeah, great. Cuz you have like really good vibes and I feel like people are attracted to that. At least that's been my experience and I find for me like the apps is where a lot of good vibes go to die. So I just yes, don't, absolutely. I just can't get into them anymore. It just feels, it feels gross. Yeah. I feel like I can spend like 90 minutes and not realize where the time went. Yeah. And maybe there are some people in there who would be great to talk to or whatever, but I think I've just kind of outgrown them or I just, I just don't want to be there. It's not a space I want to be. Yeah, I agree with you. And I spent, I just spent roughly a month of my life having really great conversations with the mental health professional on the, on Bumble. He lives out of town, which was totally okay. And, uh, but I could not get him to commit to getting together. And so I finally just said, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to get jacked up about something that isn't even a thing until we get together. And so you let me know when you're available and I will make time. I will absolutely make time because I really like you. I would really like to meet you in person and see if there's something there that we have just chatting. And he was great communicator, like really all, never heard from him, never booked anything. That's so weird. And it was very disappointing. It was disappointing because I thought I had met like my equal, like, you know, and no. There's a lot of people on those apps and even like on social media who they want that kind of emotional connection of having like a pen pal type person that goes more intimate than a pen pal. But then you find out that, you know, they have like a totally other life or a relationship and yeah, or they just, for whatever reason, just want someone to talk to. Then pay me for my time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. Yeah. In that case, like just start an OnlyFans and like charge yeah. charge the money to, to chat because yeah, yeah I, I want to actually meet people if I'm like interested in them. Same. And I was really looking forward to meeting him. I, I was actually pretty excited. 
it's just unfortunate that he wasn't as excited. Although I think he was, I think there was just something holding him back. And you know what? Also in the untethered soul, he says, life is the most meaningful relationship you'll ever have. And so I'm just going to live my life and my Hallmark moment shows up. It does. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Yeah. You can create your very own Hallmark moments for yourself. And also it's pretty easy to do here because they film an obscene amount of Hallmark movies in Victoria. <laughs> that's one of my, on my list of bucket list items is to be in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Well, I think what I discovered about myself is I used to use the apps for external validation. Okay. And then as I started to heal and grow, I, I realized I don't actually need external validation anymore. It's wonderful to hear it, but I don't need it. And so the apps don't serve a purpose anymore in the way that they used to. And so, yeah, I just, I just want to bump into someone and just, you know, and just know it's my wretched romantic heart. Just can't let go of that. <laughs> it just, yeah, it'll happen. You could hang out in Fernwood Square and go to charming artisanal markets and like romance yourself. Yeah. Yes, I, and I do that. I do do that. Yeah. I love doing that. So, um, or I romance my friends. Like, let's go, yeah. out, you know, and I create really great dates with my girlfriends and, and uh, it's fun. It's I, it's not like my life is uh, less because of it, you know, because I'm not with someone. I also know I have a lot of love to give and I look forward to giving it to, to someone specific someday, one day. Uh, yeah. Did you find the dating scene in Victoria, do you find it has unique challenges? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because... A, um, since the pandemic, I, I embraced my introverted side and, uh, and I love my time alone and my being at home. And I, you know, so, and I haven't been on the apps for a number of years until recently. So it's hard for me to say I had one pandemic date on Thanksgiving in 2021. And, um, he was such a wonderful guy and bless his heart. But he had recently separated from his wife and they had done this, um, figured out custody and it was his first weekend away from his kids. And so he cried on the date. Oh, no. And yeah. Oh, bless his heart. And um, but we did become friends and he was really lovely. And then he goes to me, too. <laughs> so, you know, it was <laughs> like I would say the unique challenge is. People used to say that there's just not enough men in Victoria. I don't think that's true. I think there's just, there's the right number of men. It's just finding the right one. I also think though that, um, I also think that women spend a lot of time healing old wounds and dealing with our stuff. And I don't know enough of whether men do that. I, I know that there are men that do that, obviously. Um, but I think men are looking for, a particular type of woman who's going to take care of his needs and look good and do, mm -hmm. but women, I don't know about you, but at this stage of my life, I'm looking at men's souls. I want to, I want to 
I want to fall in love with your soul. I want to fall in love with who you are, not what you like necessarily. And so if there was a challenge, I would say it's that. Yeah, I've heard from one of my close friends who's male. He's noticed that some of the women he interacts with, they're looking for like, if they're still single, some of them are looking for you know, a guy of a certain height, a certain income bracket. And it's like this very kind of on paper, I need these characteristics, but it completely like avoids the whole question of like, well, how do you want to feel when you're with this person? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we need to get over that whole, they need to look good and smell good and be this tall and have this job and make this much money because life is not that anymore. I think we, if we learned nothing during the last three years, it's that life is precious and the people in our lives are precious and it's how we maintain and nurture those relationships that matter. It's not about anything else. And so if we're not looking at who a person's soul and who someone is, like why bother trying to date, you know, if you don't even like each other at the core, you know, it's like the plot line in um, parks and rec where Leslie Nope and her, I forget his name on the show, but it's like played by Adam Scott, but he's there. They always say, I love you and I like you. And I'm like, that's the best. I love that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Like, are you going to want to hang out with this person every day for the rest of your life? Or even multiple days in a row. Yeah. Even multiple. (laughs) Exactly. And it was one of the, the greatest things a friend said to me during COVID. She said, we never had to deal with our stuff. She's married. And she said, we never had to deal with our stuff. We were busy. We had lots of things to do with the two kids. We had to be out all the time. We did it. And now we don't have anywhere to go and we need to deal with our shit. And this could go either way. We could deal with our shit and grow, or we could deal with our shit and not be together anymore or not deal with our shit and not be together anymore. And they chose to work through it and be together. But there's a lot of couples out there that that didn't. And I don't know if you heard this, but like when, when the, the, in China, when the, the lockdown ended, that's the first thing couples did was file for divorce. Yeah. I remember writing a couple articles where, yeah, it was responding to like the, the spike in divorce rates. The couples I know who are still together are either had to work through their stuff or they realized uh, if we can get through this and we still like each other and we still get along, you know, we're in it for however long it is. Absolutely. Or some combination of the two. Yeah. And I think maybe the person that I'm supposed to be with isn't divorced yet. Yeah. Like it's possible. Like chemistry is awesome. It's, it's fantastic. Physical chem, it's awesome. But at the end of the day, it's only going to get you so far. Yeah. You can't create an entire relationship just on feelings you have in your pants. It's... That was my 20s. Yes. Like, <laughs> that was my 20s. And it did not go well. So no, you can't. No, that, that was my unless 20s as well. Yeah, unless that's all you want, which is awesome if, that's, if you know that that's all you want. But that like it eventually that burns out or something happens because – Well, in my case, like I kept on going after relationships that I like I say felt good in the pants, but terrible in the heart. Yeah, like there's definitely a place for just a relationship that's completely just about pleasure and attraction. But I wasn't going 
after those kinds of relationships. I was going after relationships that, you know, had other sort of negative things wrapped up in that. So, yeah. Yes. And oftentimes those relationships that are strictly physical um, are with someone who's married and they just don't tell you because they don't have to. I also was like the other woman a couple times when I was in my 20s. And yeah, it's just not a road I have any desire to go down again. But, you know, it happened and you just have to like forgive yourself. Absolutely. And it's you learned from it and you grew from it. And I'm sure. Yeah. It's now time for my favorite part of the show, a rapid fire game of fuck, marry, kill. Or if you're a pacifist, fuck, marry, banish. The theme today is Grey's Anatomy because I know Rita loves the show. And it also used to be my comfort watch when I was uh, needing something. I don't know. I find hospital dramas really soothing. Same. Yeah. So we're going to play it a bit different today because, you know, there's a lot of cast members. We're going to pick our own selections for each category. So fuck, marry, banish. Rita, what are your selections? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Okay. So banish, uh, definitely Preston Burke. Banish. Uh, Mary? (laughs) I mean, obviously, I would have to say McDreamy. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with, I think. Wait. Okay. So fuck, definitely McSteamy. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know what? I have to go with McDreamy. Out of the choices, I'd go with McDreamy. So keeping in mind, I haven't watched the show recently. I would fuck Alex. Ah, okay. Yep. Get that. Yep. I can see that. Which one was Preston Burke? He was the asshole heart surgeon that uh, Christina Yang almost married. Oh, okay. Okay. Banish Preston as well, I think. Because he just seemed kind of like a dick mm-hmm. and probably has some, some healing that he needs to, to go through. Yeah. <laughs> I'd marry Dr. Jackson Avery. So the Jesse Williams character, because yeah. it's Jesse Williams. I um, and him. I also, yeah, I don't really remember his character arc. I feel like sometimes he was an asshole and sometimes he was great. But I feel like there's something I could work with that. Absolutely. He did end up being really great. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I yeah, Mick great. Dreamy, uh, he kind of it just wasn't for me. Mick Steamy, I'd be a widow. So I don't think. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I also just like Jesse Williams because he has he's involved in a lot of causes that are really important and stuff. So he'd be a good one to marry. Plus he's a billionaire. So, you know, there's that. (laughs) Yeah. He's also rich. (laughs) He's not just like a doctor. He's already, he has like generational wealth. Good choice for a husband. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if people want to find you online, like where is the best way to connect with you? Yeah. If people want to find me online, Instagram is one of my favorite uh, social media platforms. I'm 
at Lola speaking. And um, it's just me living my life and uh, sharing yeah. what inspires me. And um, but in terms of if they want to reach out for coaching or counseling, they can just email me at ritachand.lifecoaching at gmail.com. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk to anyone about dating, about any of it. I would just love it. So I totally see you as a fairy godmother person. So thanks for that. I, I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, gave me my next Halloween costume. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Or maybe I just it's going to be my uniform from now on. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I'm Simone Paget, and thank you for tuning in to We're Never Doing This Again. You can find me online at Simone underscore Paget on both Twitter and Instagram and follow the show at never again pod on all platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and support the show by leaving a review on Apple podcasts.